Welcome to Renegade Inc. The ongoing super feud between America and Russia has caused colossal collateral damage internationally, and everyone will feel the effects of the fallout. But what if there is a project that Russia and the US can collaborate on that would bring peace, progress, and prosperity? The Intercontinental Railway is that ambitious project, connecting former foes to trade with one another, which would generate commerce, not conflict, for everyone. Uh, Rick Minnick, welcome to Renegade Inc. Lovely to have someone in the studio, firstly, but also a filmmaker. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Rick, you made a film called The Straight Guys, and ostensibly The Straight Guys is uh, quite a, a story about, uh, I was going to say a straightforward story, and it would have been a dreadful <laughs> pun, but it's a straightforward story about a train line. Where is the train line from, and where is it to? So the train would start in Edmonton, Canada, yes, and would end in Harbin, China. Right. And that's uh, 5,500 miles, and it would connect the existing railroad system in North America with the existing system in Eurasia. So, um, in a sense, it's uh, one belt, one road the Chinese are constructing. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, is it version two? Is it one belt, one road version well, two? Well, it, it deserves, it should be a part of the one belt, one road initiative. It, right. it isn't yet, but um, hopefully someday it will become part of that. It would certainly help it to get developed. So uh, it's a story about a train, but it isn't, is it? It's actually a story about national identity, cultures, people, collaboration, mm. trade. That's what it's really about. Because what you're trying to do, uh, what they're trying to do with this train line is put it through countries that, um, let's say, haven't had the best history. Right. Is that a, is that a diplomatic? Yes, enough? yes. <laughs> uh, and especially at the moment, um, America, Russia. Um, uh, just give us that context. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the US and Russia have, as we all know, have a pretty difficult relationship. Um, so the line, the train would go through Russia, China, Canada, and the United States. So there are four countries in, involved. Yep. To get it built, it would essentially require a treaty between the US and Russia, right. which obviously is not going to happen. Um, under the current situation. Really but. good timing on releasing the film, by the yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> well, it just happened to be after 12 years, we just happened to finish it right uh, just a few a months war. ago. Just before a war. Um, but curiously enough, the idea has been around for 150 years. But you see, that's the interesting bit, isn't it? Because when you come to the historical context of it, it's not about the last 12 years or even no, the last no, 50 no, years. No. This idea has been there and burgeoning, and it just needs birthing. Yes, that's true. And in 1906, it was almost built. The money was, uh, stocks were issued. The New York Times reported about it. But then um, there was an intrigue in the Tsar's court. An advisor said, uh, don't do this. Otherwise, the Russians will use it. Or the Americans will invade. <laughs> and then uh, after that, one war after another got in the way. And now we have another war. So let's talk about casting. Uh, we've got Scott Spencer, George Kumal, and uh, Joe Henry. Uh, they make up the, the bulk of the narrative. Why are they so important, and how did they come together? Okay, um, George Kumal is largely credited as the person, as the man who um, revived this 150-year-old vision uh, back in the late 1980s. Uh, when the Cold War was, was actually the last years of the Cold War, he started uh, pushing this. And then once the, uh, once the Cold War ended, he was able to get some momentum going on the Russian side. George, is a, he fled the, um, Czechoslovakia in 1969, and he's a mining engineer and ended up in the United States. So he's always had this deep desire to, to kind of link the East and West, uh, Western souls you know, in his heart. 
And then um, the initial enthusiasm from those for the early 90s when there was a lot of US-Russian collaboration from since the, the space, International Space Station. Yes. Um, as the 90s progressed and conditions got more and more chaotic in Russia, that enthusiasm wore off and then um, both countries slipped in their old ways again. And this has um, kind of slid into the background. And what we see now is that frozen conflict. Yes. Let's have a quick look at, at one clip from the film. So far, Scott seems to be making a good impression. It turns out he's an old train buff and has arranged a ride on the Alaska Scenic Railway in a special treat for George and Joe. So here you are, here's your names, George. Joe, there's your name, and there's Victor's name. Well, there's my name too. Well, of course, that's yours to take home. Okay. Because another important milestone for this railway will be driving the first spike. So, hey, Harley, thanks very much. It's been great riding your railway, and thanks for joining Thank you, us. Sir. I think one thing is important to keep in mind with this is that the straight guys, George and Joe, and me as an assistant straight guy. Um, I think our perseverance, our personal commitment is the same. We're not expecting a dime out of this. This is a way that we know that we can serve our country and serve the world. Yeah, maybe someday I might be able to get hired with one of the consortiums, but I'm not banking on it. George is at the point of his life where he knows he spent over 297,000, he told me for the first time because I always wondered how he did these conferences and these travels. I don't expect he thinks to get any of that, let alone profit off of it. When we watch that clip, the thing that really stands out for me is um, that these guys have dedicated themselves to something which they'll never see the end of. Uh, it's certainly bigger than themselves, but at the heart of it, and I come back to it after that second point, is it's about collaboration. Um, and we have a world now that is full you know, we have got huge population um, issues. And um, what we need more than anything is collaboration over conflict and competition. Absolutely. This rail line is the epitome of that, isn't it? It is. It is. If you look back in history, railroads have been, really been the engine that have drive, uh, driven development. In the United States, it was the, the, the Transcontinental Railway mm. that connected the eastern and west, east and west coasts. In Russia, it was the Trans-Siberian Railway that connected this enormous country. And the Intercontinental Railway would be the extension of that. It would really be linking continents. It would link, link Asia and North America. And you know the, the entire world would be connected by rail mm. as a result. So it's really kind of like the ultimate globalization project uh, in my vision, in my mind. Um, Scott and George and Joe, the, the straight guys, they say that they, they've done projections that it would transport 3% of the global trade uh, which is the equivalent of the Panama Canal. Wow. And because of the curvature of the earth, it's a shorter distance going through the Bering Strait way up north and would be about one week faster than going by ship. And also the green credentials are there, aren't they? Because ship is famously uh, polluting. Oh yeah, absolutely. The, the Intercontinental Railway would be powered by renewable energy sources like tidal power plants and hydroelectric along the route. 
plus it could be used uh, whenever, wherever you have a railway, it's a great opportunity to run power lines and fiber optic cables and stuff along the, along the alignment. So from where I'm sitting, uh, what I see is that this is all ready to go. The only big problem is human beings are getting in the way. A different way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. A different way of saying it is life's very easy. It's people that complicate it. Yeah, you could you could say that. I mean, actually, some people that ever when whenever the straight guys were present presenting their project, um, basically we follow them along the route, the proposed route through Alaska to the Bering Strait and in Russia, and they presented to various groups, uh, stakeholders along the way, in these like Alaskan villages and stuff. And one of the first questions is always, how much does it cost? And when they say $100 billion, jaws would drop. But then Scott was always quick to say, well, that's what it cost. The International Space Station cost $100 billion. And you know it's due to be decommissioned in the next years. But this intercontinental railway could be in place for the next 100 or 200 years. It's really a long-term investment. Put it a different way, $100 billion for the military industrial complex as chicken feed in comparison. Yes. And actually, this has got a social benefit as opposed to blowing people up in far-flung places. Yeah. The straight guys like to say that they, they say the pro that the Intercontinental Railroad would bring peace, progress, and prosperity to the entire world. Yeah, but the neocons and, are so cynical, they're saying, I don't want to hear that. We're going to go bomb. Yeah, yeah, sure. You could, you could take that from the cynical thing. But if you really think about the thought behind it is that... Um, if you are doing business with someone and you're intricately linked in an economic way, you will think twice before you start a war with that other 100%. party. 100%. We um, often quote on this program, Alibaba founder Jack Ma, uh, and he was at Davos or one of these talking shops. And he said, mm. he said, you know, what, what do you see the problem with the, with the US at the moment? He says, too much war, not enough investment. Mm. And that's diametrically opposed to the One Belt, One Road uh, strategy right. coming out of China. Mm -hmm. um, and what you're getting at as a filmmaker, and I'd love to know why you picked this up, is that actually we can promote prosperity, peace, abundance and trade if mm -hmm. we do this. Yes. What's not to like? That's what I keep asking. <laughs> so what, what are we doing? I think uh, you should get your spade out and I, start I, digging. I, I think maybe you have to really go back to following the money trail yeah. and... and and this inevitably takes us back, unfortunately, to the military-industrial complex, and that there's just more money to be made in war than in peace, and, or at least that's the perception of the people in power, in, well, at, short least, at least in the United States. Short term, but not long -term. term. The Chinese no, think no. in two hundred year blocks. Yeah, that's why the Chinese are why I would say the twenty first century is the Chinese century. Yes. They're they're very far. I, I've been there several times, and I've seen for myself just how advanced they are. And it has to do with long-term thinking. And just look at how much they're investing all over the world. It, with the new Silk Road, you know, they've had huge investments in Africa. Um, they, yeah, it's a, it's a long-term thinking. And I think in the United States, that, that type of a mentality it just doesn't exist. We, I think it's tied to the election cycles too much. Politicians are looking, they're looking for short-term gains that will get them reelected so they can stay in office and have more power. And they're not really looking for you know, investing investing in infrastructure just isn't sexy. It's like it's a long term thing. Who want you know building new bridges and railroads and things? It's, if you look at American mm. infrastructure, it's shot. I mean, it's absolutely buildings are crumbling, bridges are yeah, crumbling. Yeah. You've mentioned mentality. Let's just talk about um, mentality, specifically American mentality and Russian mentality. Before um, we started shooting this, um, you were talking about the Russians being a lot more um, broader mentality, a lot more cross-border collaboration. Mm. The Americans um, may be a little more insular. They want total control. 
I suggested to you maybe that's a, an insecure way of going. Mm. Um, why is it that uh, your fellow countrymen, the Americans, don't understand that if they take one step towards somebody uh, to collaborate, actually that person will step as well and mm-hmm. you can do something together? Why do they need total control all the time? The US just likes to call the shots. I, I think that the US came out of World War II with this clear perception that we are the good guys and we won the war. And like, it's easy for the, uh, the United States to forget that the Allies won the war and that the Allies included the uh, Brits and the French and the Russians. And the Russians. And the Russians. <laughs> and um, at the end of the Cold War, I think the United States has this clear perception, or at least the, the people who are in, in power in the United States, that the United States won the Cold War or that the West won the, world, the Cold War, but specifically the United States. And they treat Russia as the defeated enemy. And I think that's the absolute wrong approach. Anyone who's been to Russia knows if you go to Moscow or, or St. Petersburg, they are far more advanced than any American city in terms of uh, public transportation, their infrastructure, the culture and everything are far more advanced. And Americans, I don't think that they understand that. I, don't think, I just don't think they're very interested. And I, I had the impression during my several trips to Russia while making this film that the Russians are just more curious about the world and are more open to collaboration because they see that they can benefit in the short term and in the long term. And maybe that's their way of trying to get reintegrated into the world or something, getting some acceptance. You know, what's going on right now in Ukraine is, is, is absolutely horrible, but I think part of the problem could be traced back to the fact that Russia has been, um, let me say, exiled from, from the world, uh, you know, kicked out of the G8. They kept telling us that, they, you know, they really were waiting for the U.S. to reach out to them. I, and my impression was the Russians just wanted a seat at the table and they wanted to be talk. They wanted to negotiate at eye level with other partners, especially the United States. And I think there's something in the way U.S. diplomacy works that they just don't want to see Russia as an equal and worthy partner. This project, which we are now discussing, Он фантастически хороший. Уверенность в том, что это самый великолепный проект этого века. И у нас есть возможность доложить Путину. Но и в вашей стороне, американской стороне, но Трамп всегда нацелен на такие проекты. This, this visit to Russia is important to get to that first step of digging this railway. Мы проходим очень большое испытание. Особо хвалиться нечем, потому что те санкции, которые вводятся против нас, они вредят не только нам, но и Америке и многим другим странам. И вообще тяжело у меня встреча состоится. Я без без сомнения я скажу вот. Бумага со мной, я таскаю, возьмите, прочитайте. Вы себя прославите. Действительно, это мощный проект, очень мощный. И очень хочется, чтобы господин Трамп над этим проектом и поручили хорошенько изучить их, отбросить то, что между нами есть, 
понимая, насколько эти проекты важны не только для Америки и России. И очень впечатляет и воодушевляет, как мы можем работать над этим проектом. for a way to leave the world a better place than we found it. And for me, uh, the Intercontinental Railway, I thought was a compelling project that the world really needed at that time and even more so today. And um, as a railroad expert, I thought I could bring my railroad operating expertise to the table. And being from Delaware and so close to Washington, um, Our founders, uh, George Kumal from uh, Arizona, Joe Henry from Alaska, and Victor Vazbegin from Russia, um, we all thought there was a good opportunity for me to help provide a, a presence for the project in Washington on a uh, as-needed basis as well. So it was a good synergy and it for a great project. What do you see, uh, at, especially now, uh, with what's going on in Ukraine and the world more broadly, What, why do you see that this is the moment to um, push this uh, and, and get the Intercontinental Railway working? Why, why now? Excellent question, because I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say, well, that's the end of this project. And not at all. I think no matter what our differences in the world and you look through history, all great nations will always have differences. But I think there's a lot of commonality in what we wish for our futures, for our children's future, and for the greatness of our respective countries. And so when you look, as you see on this Russian version of the project flag and the American version as well, the foundations of this project are rooted in peace, progress, and the bottom line being prosperity for all the nations involved. This military conflict in Ukraine is going to take a great deal of healing, recovery, and rebuilding. And I can think of no project that can bring such greatness and such results for all the nations involved than the Intercontinental Railway. Where we begin, I think right now, immediately with the situation in Ukraine, I think we, it is vital that we have a, a ceasefire and a rollback of the troops out of Ukraine and a 21st century solution, because this has to be in place for the life of this project. Remember, this project is going to create infrastructure that will be in service for 100 to 200 years. So there'll be any number of political differences even after the project is built. But we need a 21st century solution because as we've seen in Ukraine, 
um, threat-based diplomacy of consequences and sanctions have failed. And unfortunately, people are dying, Ukrainians are dying, good Ukrainians, civilians have died, good Russians have died, it's a sad loss. But a 21st century solution, when you look at our civilization, a military is prepared to fight a conflict 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? But we have no such approach to diplomacy. So in this situation, we need to put in place with a ceasefire and a rollback, a crisis resolution team that is negotiating with an ABC team 24 hours a day, seven days a week between Moscow, Kiev, and Washington to resolve the differences in a mutually beneficial way. And I say mutually beneficial because we keep saying how diplomacy has failed, but we're leaving out something in this diplomacy. And that's mutually beneficial diplomacy, not just relying on threats and sanctions. And I lay all this out because this is the insurance we need for political cooperation well into the future for the Intercontinental Railway to succeed. I think uh, politicians tend to take the easy way out and just play the blame game. It has nothing to do particularly with Russia. Look internally with our own politics rather than figure out a, as I say, a mutually beneficial uh, solution to an issue, the blame game is followed very quickly. And that can have disastrous, disastrous results. The longer this conflict in Ukraine continues, the greater the risk of disaster results for all the nations involved. And that's why, again, I'm, I'm pointing out that the principles in Intercontinental Railway can be a basis for our nations to work together. And when people say, how is that possible? How can the United States and Russia even get past this conflict? Well, we can look ahead every 90 minutes, the International Space Station is floating above us around the world. And it has been an excellent model, and it should be really no nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize for the cooperation that Russians and Americans and other nations have had. And we, we, we view that as a model for how the Intercontinental Railway can succeed where most people think uh, it's not possible. Did you see that when you um, first heard Scott speak uh, and, and see the vision that he was putting across? That, that's when it really made sense to me when he started talking about the space station, that, 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 because it's a really a concrete example of cooperation that's been successful regardless of what's going on here on Earth between the US and Russia. And I, I, I think he's right. I think that uh, once this railroad is up and running, people are going to be like, "Why didn't we do this before?" That's as Scott likes to say. You know, right. once it's once it's going to be a, once it exists, people are like, "Wow, well, we should have we should have, have, we should have been ago. doing this for years." Yeah, uh, Scott, what, what's one thing that has really changed your mind when you've been working on this project? What's the one thing that because when filmmakers work on films, they start with an idea, and by the time they fi finish a film, they've changed their mind on something, or it has changed them. What has changed you uh, specifically about international relations? Rick really has been devoted and dedicating to telling this story. The world needs to know, and the world can know more about it as well by going to our website, intercontinentalrailway.com. It's also there in uh, our pages that are in Russian as well. I wouldn't say what's changed uh, me, but what has confirmed the goodness in our world is the uh, opportunity I had to travel across Russia to Eastern Siberia, to Yakutsk, and to uh, meet with uh, Russian officials and uh, an advisor of uh, President Putin in Moscow that, look, 
<laughs> when I was in those meetings, issues like the sanctions came up. And I said, look, I'm a private citizen. I can only speak as a private citizen, but I do know both our nations take pride in negotiating, negotiating ways that ultimately benefit our nation rather than not talking. And that's what's so concerning to me about this present situation in Ukraine. It's obviously very tragic, the deaths on both sides. But the longer we're not talking directly, the greater the risk, the greater the costs. And that's why uh, I can't speak about the Intercontinental Railway without saying that our leaders need to talk directly and do so under a ceasefire and a rollback of the troops so we can look at options like rolling back the sanctions in concert with that. There's all types of options that could be, as I said, mutually beneficial diplomacy. And the Intercontinental Railway is um, the uh, event that, uh, that you can hang those things off, isn't it? That's what you're getting at. Well, it's also the great next step. I mean, look at the, uh, the pain that our world came through after World War II and those conflicts and the difficulties we had with Germany and Japan. Yet we found ways to build those race relationships to be more successful so we weren't just adversaries, but we we're actually doing things constructively together. And that's why I say the Intercontinental Railway is so beneficial for the world. For instance, the issues of the environment, the issues of the constraints of trans-Pacific shipping on the economies of Asia, as well as North America, are not going to go away. <clears throat> and if we're going to grow successfully, there is no amount of ability to expand ports in North America, even if you wanted to tear up more land or urban areas for expanding ports, even if you wanted to spend the money we can't do it. The Intercontinental Railway is a relief line via the Bering Strait to the supply chain woes that we saw with ships stacking up uh, outside of uh, America. That's not going to go away. And remember, what we're discussing here today, Ross, will have an impact on this world for the next 100 to 200 years. And so you asked why I got involved. I think everybody seeks in life, as I mentioned, something that leaves the world a better place than they found it. And that certainly is the case with the Intercontinental Railway in so many ways. It, it, it requires China and Russia to work with the United States and Canada in a mutually beneficial way. Scott Spencer, um, congratulations on the Intercontinental Railway uh, and also for your vision uh, from 1992, no less. Most, but most impressive, the tenacity to stick with it. Um, and Rick, congratulations on the film. It, it's uh, just about to be released into the world. More people should see it and understand that we have way more in common than we do have different. Gentlemen, thank you both very much. Thank you. You're welcome. That's it from Renegade Inc. this week. You can drop the team a mail, studio at renegadeinc.com. Join us next week for more insight from those people who are thinking differently. But until then, stay curious.